Hi, I'm Pastor Robbie Barrett, and I want to take this time to thank you for taking time out of your busy day to listen to a life-changing word from God. And I pray that as you listen to these podcasts, that it will shape your way of thinking and that you will be walking in the fullness of what God has for you. The holy place from the holiest of holies, right? Who could go past the veil? Anybody know? Only the high priest once a year could go past the veil and he had to bring blood with him. Amen. How, how do we have access to God? By the blood of Jesus. Amen. There's no other access you go. Jesus said, I am the way. There is no other way to the Father but by me. So as we get into this, we're going to deal with why this veil is here. Maybe some of you have did some studying on the temple and wondered why this was here. Uh, what was the separation from God and His people for? What was that, what's that have to do with all this? And we're going to break that down today and we're going to show you why the veil was there. <clears throat> and we're going to show you how it deals with your worship. Because if you were here last week, you understand that we are now the temple of God. Amen. We are the temple of God. So we've got to see why. If we're the temple of God now, then we've got to see what this veil has to do with it. Amen. Uh, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews 9, and we're going to start at verse 19. Hebrews 9, and we're going to start at verse 19. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, right now for this word. Father, I pray that through this whole teaching series, Father, that you will take us deeper, that you are open uh, our enlightenment of you, Father, and that we will go and press deeper than we've ever done before because there's always more of you, Lord. When we think that we have reached the end of you, we have only just scratched the surface. We love you today and we praise you. And Father, I speak and I pray a spirit of worship in this place as the teaching goes on and even as we go into prayer. In Jesus' name, for you to all be the glory. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. All right. Hebrews 9, 19. Let's read this. It says, For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the brook, or the book, excuse me, and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. I want to read that again. The tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And if you were here last week, we dealt with all the different vessels that were in the temple and in the tabernacle. And almost all things are by the law purged with what? Blood. For without, and this is the part of the scripture that most of you know, for without the shedding of blood there is no remission. And it is therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So we got to watch this right here. So watch. So what's, uh, most people think that Paul wrote Hebrews. So what's Paul saying right here? He's saying, listen, just as the earthly, what was the earthly tabernacle? What was the earthly temple? It was patterned to what? The heavenly one. Amen. How many knows that God gave specific directions to Moses that he had to follow on every part of the temple, even when it came to the furniture, the, the dimensions of it, everything was uh, detailed. How many knows that he's a God of detail? 
Hallelujah. He's a God of detail. So watch this. So he had to pattern it everything according to the heavenly tabernacle or the temple. Now, it said, Paul said that the earthly tabernacle had to be purged or had to be purified with what? Blood. But he also said even the heavenly things had to be purified with a better sacrifice. Who was that better sacrifice? Jesus. So we know this now so that when Christ came, what did he do? He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. By His Spirit, He took His blood and offered sacrifice and purified all the instruments in the heavenly temple. Is that right? So the heavenly temple was a vision that Moses seen to pattern the earthly one. So now the question is this. The question is, why? Now listen to me. This is the way I am on, when it comes to understanding the things of God and all that. Don't just tell me that something is the way that it is. I want to know why. Is there anybody else in me, in here with me, that wants to know why? Why do we do this? Why don't we do this? So when I came across this in my study, I wanted to know why. Why did the earthly tabernacle have to be purified? Why did the heavenly tabernacle have to be purified? Why did it have to be purified? So we got to find this out today. Exodus 26, uh, 31. It says, And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen of cunning work. With cherubims shall it be made. And you shall hang it upon the pillars of uh, shittim wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver. And you shall hang up the veil under the, ta- under the tatches, and that you shall make bring in there within the veil the ark of the testimony, and the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy place. So watch this right here. So we know that the veil was placed in the temple to separate God from man. But again, we need to ask ourselves this question. Why? Why was the veil there? Why was there blood? Why was there a veil? Is there a connection? I want you to notice something on here. I want you to notice. Now go back to that picture. Now you see here that it's embroidered on the veil. You see cherubims on the veil. Is, that, is there any significance to that? The answer is yes. Why? Now we see a pattern here. We see that there are cherubims which are a specific kind of angel such as like a guardian, a keeper. You see them on the veil. Now go to the ark. Now as you go into the holiest of holies, you see what? More cherubims and even two more right there on top of the mercy seat. So now we're seeing a pattern here. We're seeing cherubims uh, as at the gate or the entrance of the holiest of holies. And then once we get into the holiest of holies, we are seeing cherubims on top of them. The answer is, uh, well, now we've got to ask ourselves this question, why? Now, what kind of, what kind of uh, angel were they? They were guardians of the presence of God. Now, this, all this represents... The throne of God. If you see the throne of God, you're going to see cherubims beside the throne. Why? As guardians of what? The presence of God. Now, 
I'm going to show you something here today. Genesis 3, 24. Read this right here. What happened here? At the Garden of Eden when Adam fell, what happened? God kicked them out of the garden, and then what did he do? Watch this. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So watch this. Man's first domain, he loses that authority, he loses that dominion, he's kicked out of his first domain, and what is keeping him from that domain? The cherubims. Now, let's fast forward. We have the temple where the presence of God resides, right? As we talked about last week, you would see the smoke of His presence come out of the temple. You would see the glory of God. What is keeping man from the presence of God again? Cherubims. So now we're seeing a pattern here. Man's sin caused him to be expelled from the presence of God, then again be separated by a veil in the temple. Not only did the earthly temple had to be purified by blood, but because of man's sin, so did the heavenly temple by blood had to be purified. Why? Because of sin, right? So the earthly tabernacle had to be purified by blood because of sin. But my question to you is, why did the heavenly tabernacle have to be purified with blood? Sin again, right? But whose sin? Turn to your neighbor and say, whose sin? I'm going to show you something today. Isaiah 14, 11 through 15. It says, Thy pomp is brought down to the grave. This is talking about Lucifer. And the noise of thy vows and the worm is spread under thee and the worms cover thee. How art thou foul, uh, fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground which you did weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mountain of the congregation. I want you to remember that. Somebody say the mount of congregation. In the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. So now we see something right here. We see why the heavenly temple had to be purified. When Christ ascended up, the Bible says by the eternal spirit, He presented His body, He presented His blood as a sacrifice where? In the heavenly temple. And did what? He purified everything in the heavenly temple. How? By His blood. What contaminated the heavenly temple? We just read it. Where did all this take place? In the heavens. What would what, we say earlier? The earthly tabernacle, the earthly temple is a, is a foreshadow or whatever, is an image of the heavenly temple and the heavenly tabernacle. So I want you to see this right here. So who is Lucifer? He is now what? Satan. How many knows he's the enemy of your worship? If you're, not, if you're not aware of that in here today, you need to be aware of it. 
He is the enemy of your worship. Why? Because let's look at who he was. Now, the Bible says that he had instruments within him that as he would walk, he would, listen, he would radiate music out of him. He was a worshiper. He was created to worship, just like you and I were created to worship. He was created, and if you do any kind of study, you see now, you see how he was almost like a praise leader, a worship leader to 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 uh, bring people into the presence of God, not people but angels, to bring angels into the presence of God and heavenly creatures into the presence of God to worship Him. Now you see, I told you earlier that cherubims would guard the throne of God, where, which is what? Where His presence is, right? So you got to watch this right here. The Bible says that He was an anointed cherubim. He wasn't just a cherubim. He was anointed. What did that priest have to be? Anointed. Can I tell you, can I give you a bit of information to let you think upon? Is it possible that Satan used to work in the heavenly temple? to do the things of God? Is it possible that he would lead people to the presence of God just like the earthly priests would do? Is it possible that he used to do these things? And watch this. you got to see something now. So if he was a leader of bringing people into worship, bringing angels into worship, then we know right away that he knows the power of worship. If he was created to worship God and he had instruments within him that would sound worship. You know the greatest worship that we have? It's not instruments. You know what it is? Our voice. Our voice unto God. And so if he knows this right here, so watch this. He knew the power of worship. So you got to see this right here. The whole time he's bringing angels to worship the presence of God. To worship God for who He is. In the back of his mind, he begins to think, Oh, I see what this does for God. Wonder what this could do for me. Brother, what's the enemy of my worship? Pride. Let me say it again. What's the enemy of my worship? Pride. What will stop you in your tracks every time from getting into a place of worshiping God? Pride. Thinking you've got it all together. Thinking you're good. You don't need to do this. You don't need to do that. You're okay. You've got a handle on everything. When we have that pride about us, that keeps us. That's like a veil. Keeping us from the presence of God and worshiping Him. Verse 13. Notice what that said. Let's go back to verse 13, Dave. It says, watch, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of congregation in the sides of the north. Now watch this right here. He said he would set up his throne upon the mountain of congregation of the sides of the north to be worshipped, but where? Have you ever read that and say, where is the mount of congregation? Have you ever read that and said, where is the sides of the north? Go to Psalms real quick. Listen to what David said. He said, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness. Where's the city of God? Somebody help me. Jerusalem. What's the center of the world? Jerusalem. What's everybody fighting for? 
Jerusalem. Go to the next verse. Watch this right here. Beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides. What? Mm, okay, so we're getting it now. On the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Where is Christ going to set up his kingdom? Yes. Where is he going to rule and reign? Where is he going to declare that he's God? So where is it the enemy wants to set up his throne? Y'all getting it? So he said, I will set up. So watch this right here. Everything is an image of what is in heaven. Amen? Just as there is an earthly Jerusalem, we know what's coming down. A heavenly Jerusalem, a new Jerusalem. That's been purified, that's been wiped clean of the contamination of what Satan did or Lucifer did when he was in heaven. So watch this right here. So where was Lucifer thrown to? I read it to you earlier. He was thrown to the earth. He fell from heaven. Jesus said, I, I, seen, I, I beheld Satan falling as lightning to the earth. So now watch this. He knows. Now I could do a whole, I could spend almost two hours on this little part right here about how Adam and Eve and all these different things that, that relates to God and Satan and all this stuff. I could do all that, but I'm just going to try to summarize it real quick. He tried to take down God and he couldn't. He got slapped down. Then guess what? He beheld somebody in the garden that looked just like God. Come on, church. Sounded just like God. Created just like God. Had the authority just like God. Had the dominion just like God. Had the power just like God. And what did he do? He tempted them. He tried them. And guess what? They handed over authority to him. They ha- and I'm going to talk about it here in a minute. They handed over authority to him. Adam handed over the dominion to Satan of this earth. So now watch this. We know that God talks about how he loves Mount Zion, how he loves Jerusalem. We talk about how he told them to set up the temple where? On his mountain. That his presence would always be there. We know that through the years and through the centuries, many uh, nations and many different, uh, many different armies have tried to take Jerusalem and they've tried to claim it as their own. But guess what? God, they can't. And God will win in the end. I'm going to promise you right there. Now watch this right here. I want you to catch something. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you how all this ties in. So, so Satan said, I'm going to exalt my throne above the throne of God. I'm going to set it up in the north, the Mount of Congregation, on the sides of the north, excuse me. I'm going to set up my throne, and people's going to worship me. I'm going to have my own kingdom. So watch this. He couldn't take over the heavenly Jerusalem. So what is he trying to do now? Take over the earthly. Now, is it any coincidence, watch this. Jesus talks about in Matthew, I don't have it up here, but he talks about, he said, in those days, how many knows there will be a third temple built? How many knows that? There will be another one built. 
Why? Because there has to be for Scripture to be fulfilled. The Bible says that the Antichrist will come in, will declare himself God in the temple, and make himself what? An image. Now watch this. Why? Satan is still trying to fulfill the words that he said. See, what, what's funny about Satan is he hates God so much, but he's always trying to be like him. You ever notice that? He's always trying to be like. Jesus is the, tri- the line of the tribe of Judah. What's Satan? Going around as a roaring lion. But if you ever read about him, it always says like or as. God is. Oh, come on, somebody. God is. So watch this. So now, this is the fight. This is the battle. He's going to try to set up his throne. And the Bible says this will take place. The beast will set up his throne in the temple of God to declare himself God. Why? Because guess what? The whole time he was leading worship in heaven, he was seeing the power of worship. See, the problem with the church is, is we don't understand the power of worship. That's why we're not worshiping. That's why you have to pay people pretty much to get into worship. Come on, lift your hand, raise your, do this, do that. We, I mean, you have to almost pay people. Why? Because they don't understand the power of worship. But if you understand the origin of it, and if you understand how Satan was uh, over worship in heaven and how he was leading angels by the multitude, the Bible says the angels of God are innumerable leading them into the praise and the worship of God, then you see, watch this, what is he after? He's not after your house. He's not after your money. He's not after your car. He's not after any of that. What is he after? He is after the worship of God. He wants to take your worship that you have to God and turn it towards him. He wants to, it, it don't matter if you're saved or unsaved. He wants you to worship Him. Why? Because anything, as Cody said, anything you worship, you are acknowledging that they are above you. Not praise. I said worship. You are acknowledging that they are above you. So we got to see right here. Watch this. If you notice that 90% or maybe higher. Watch this now. Now you see, I want you to see how the enemy is working in worship. 90% or more of the church problems you have. Do you want to know where they are? They're not so much out here. They're not even so much right here. Do you know where they take place? I, I'm te- I know what I'm talking about. I've been in ministry a while. Uh, those, there's some of you in here, you've been in ministry for years. Most of the problems take place in the praise team. Why is that? Is it coincidence? No, it's not coincidence. Because Satan knows the power of praise and worship. 
He was created to lead it. So you would be naive and you would be foolish to think that Satan doesn't care about your worship and your praise. Matter of fact, he's doing everything he can in your life to keep you from praising and worshiping God. Somebody give the Lord some praise. He's doing everything. Why is he hitting me so hard? Why is this going wrong? Why is that? I'll tell you why. So you won't worship. Because if you don't worship, you don't get into the presence of God. And if you don't get into the presence of God, what do you have? What do you have? Nothing. And the Bible says, watch it. The Bible says you cannot serve two masters. You will serve one or the I'm my own person. I'm gonna do it. No, you're not. You're serving somebody. You, I don't care if you go to church or not go to church or whatever. You're serving something. So watch this. Bible, uh, Jesus said you, either, you will not serve two masters. One will suffer and the other will do good or vice versa. So watch this. It's all about your worship. I just, I just can't. I'm just so consumed by the things going on around me. I just, I, just, I just feel the weight and the pressure of everything around me. I understand that. But are you getting into a place where you're starting to worship what Satan's doing in your life instead of what God's doing in your life? Oh, I'm sick. I'm this. I'm that. I'm that. Okay, I understand that. But are you starting to exalt what Satan is doing in your life? Are you, going, are you exalting what God is doing? God said he's going to do this, he's going to do that. God's going to bless. I know in whom I believe. I know he's faithful, he's righteous. That's exalting who God is. But when you go around, nothing ever works out, nothing ever did. What are you doing? You're exalting what Satan's doing. You can't serve two masters. Satan is after your worship. I'm going to say it again. He's after your worship. He's after the worship of this church. How many times have you ever entered? Now watch this. I'm just going to show you some of his schemes. How many times have you went into, uh, uh, into a church service and you just felt like a wall was there? Come on. I mean, you just felt. There are sometimes you come in here and it's just so easy to flow in the presence of God. It's just so easy to praise Him. And then there's other times you just, I mean, nothing's going right. And it seems like everything, now you're seeing it. There's something behind that. It's not just mere coincidence. There's something behind that. And the answer is Satan knows the power of worship. He knows the power when you exalt the name of Jesus, when you praise the living God. He understands that. Watch this. You find the heart of a person is the heart of the church. Wherever, watch this, I told you this last week. If you wait to come into here to get into the presence of God, you just, you've wasted your time. You should have brought it with you. Are you listening to me? You should have brought it with you. You should have had praise and worship sessions all through the week while you were waiting on church night to come. And then when church night to come, you came in here and you brought it in here with you. And if the whole group of us did that, what kind of service would take place in here? Come on. What kind of move of God would we have? A mind-blowing move. 
Let me go on. Hebrews 10, 19. It says, Having therefore, brethren, the boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of what? Jesus. By a new and living way which he have consecrated for us through the veil. Somebody say through the veil. That is to say his flesh. Oh, now we're getting somewhere. And having a high priest over the house of God. So watch this. Just as the enemy's desire was to take over the heavenly temple to be worshipped, it is now his desire to take over the earthly temple. You know who the earthly temple is now? You. It's not some building now. That building will come later. What's he trying to take over now? You. As I told you earlier, why is he hitting you? To take over you. What do you mean to take over me? You're to be a house of praise. You are to be where the presence of God resides. You are to be, watch this, you are to be where God, the Holy Ghost, feels at home. If he don't feel at home anywhere else, he better feel at home in you. Amen. Why? By the life that you're living, by the closeness you're walking with God, that's how he feels at home with you. Now, watch this. So what's the enemy's objective? His objective is to turn you from a house of prayer to a house of complaining. A house of bitterness. A house of unthankfulness. I could go on and on. Why? Because you are now the temple of God. So if he was, watch this, if he tried to take down a building throughout the generations, what do you think he's trying to do to God's people? Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, wake up. Wake up. We need to wake up. Because let me tell you something. We better get back. And I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about the whole church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We better get back to a place where we're worshiping and seeking the face of God or we are not going to be who God has called us to be in this hour. We better get to a place where we are housing the presence of God that when we get around people, people say, I just feel conviction on me. I don't know what's going on. If you don't think that, can ha- that can't happen, then you haven't read about Smith Wigglesworth that would get on a train, not say a word, and people just begin to give their life to God because they said, you convict me, sir. The presence of God on you convicts me. I need to give my life to God right now. Can it happen again today? Absolutely. Because we are in the last days of an outpouring. Where God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. It's time to measure up as a body of Christ. So watch this now. What is the veil? So why, why were cherubims on the veil? I told you why. Because of Satan. You see there. And you see that cherubims were guardians of the presence of God. But what Satan did in the fall of Adam created that veil hear me now created that veil now watch this Jesus came to do what to restore to us what Adam lost that's why he was called the second Adam he came to restore everything that Adam had lost for us the dominion the power the authority over whom over Satan 
to be back under that place. What place? The Bible says in the Hebrew that He made us a little lower than Himself. Not the angels. That was in later on in the text. In the Hebrew it says a little lower than Elohim. Which is if you don't know that, that's the name of God. To restore us back to that authority. That's why Jesus, before He left, He said, I have given you power over what? All the works of the enemy. I've given you power. Meaning what? I've given you the authority back. And I'm going to go on that here in just a second. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to flow through all this thing because there's so much information. But watch this right here. So we got to see that veil was up because that veil represented what? Our flesh. What keeps us from the presence of God? Our flesh. What keeps us from coming to church? Our flesh. What keeps us from reading the Word and studying? Our flesh. What keeps us from spending time with God? So I'm too busy. I've got this to do and that to do. Our flesh. What keeps us from getting into the holiest of holies where God becomes so real that nothing else matters? Our flesh. You've heard me say this before. Those of you that practice getting into the presence of God, then you need to understand something. You're going to have to learn how to wait. So what are you talking about? When you go off to yourself, whether it's in your building, your shed, whatever, out in the woods, I don't care where you go, in your closet. When you get off to yourself and you, begin, you want to get into the presence of God, you're going to have to learn how to wait. Because there is a veil there. You want to know what that veil is? Your flesh. Your flesh is still thinking about how you got to go to Walmart this evening. Your flesh, right now, your flesh is thinking about, where am I going to eat after church? Do you see that now? It's your, your flesh is that veil. Which is why Jesus said He offered up His body. Go back to that verse, Dave, if you can find it. He offered up his body. Why? Because that was the veil keeping us from going into the holy place. That's why the Bible says that we can now go in to the, go to the throne of God with what? Boldness. We can now go into the holiest of holies. Before, you could not do that. Why? Because of your flesh. Your flesh was contaminated. It was full of sin. Your flesh is not saved. Some of you are looking at me kind of funny. Your flesh is not saved. It's your flesh that wants to chew somebody out that pulled out in front of you. It's your flesh that would like to slap somebody upside the head. Come on, it's your flesh. And some of us, come on, we come in here with this holiness attitude and we don't realize, listen, your flesh is not going to be saved until you get a glorified body. Your spirit man is saved. Your soul part of you is in the process of being saved. That's why you need to get in the Word to renew your mind, which is where your soul is, your mind, your will and emotion. That's why you got to get into church. That's why you got to get into praise and worship. Why? You're renewing that soul part of you, if you quit doing those things, guess what? You're going to begin to unrenew it. 
You're going to begin to think like the world again and talk like the world again and want the things that the world wants. So you've got to keep doing it. Why? Because your soul is in the process of being saved. But your flesh is nasty. Somebody say amen. If you, your flesh is nasty. Your, listen, the only time your flesh is going to want to come to church is if you're getting some kind of recognition. That's it. Other than that, your flesh is not going to... Or if, if, if you're trying to date a girl or something like that. Look at some of y'all. You know what I'm talking about. So we got to see this. The veil is our flesh. What keeps us from getting into worship? Our flesh. It's not, oh, that wasn't the right song. Or uh, the temperature's not right. It's a little chilly in here. It's a little hot. It's not all that. It's your flesh. Your flesh is keeping you from getting into the presence of God. You want to know your greatest enemy? Your greatest enemy is not the devil. Can I drop a bombshell on Your greatest enemy is you. And if you can conquer you, you can conquer anything else in your life. Come on, give God some break. You can conquer anything else, but you've got to master yourself. The only thing the devil can do is just tap into where you've not died to. Let me quit. <laughs> Why is it that the church is not entering into a deep place, the secret place with God? Because we're still in our flesh. Nowadays, this is just the facts. You either got to have a dynamite, explosive ministry that's got the power of God flowing through it, or you've got to have a ministry that's got all the entertainment the world can provide to fill it up. You've got to have one of those two things. If you don't, you're not going to fill it up. Somebody say amen. You're not going to fill it up. So nowadays, what are we trying to do to fill the churches? We are trying to do everything that we can to appease our flesh. To appease our flesh, we're, we're filling up churches. There's only one problem with that. Your flesh cannot enter into the presence of God. If you're still in your flesh, you still got a veil up. Write that down. If you're still in your flesh, you still have a veil up. That's why in your personal relationship, your fellowship time with God, it takes, watch this, it takes a little time. Because, watch this, your flesh does not want to sit there and wait on God. When I call people to worship or to seek the face of God up here, I know who's in the flesh and who isn't. How? You can tell. If you're like this, you're in the flesh. And you know what you're saying? I don't want to be up here right now. I, I don't want to wait. I want it now. And that's what the flesh does. But if you're up here and you're worshiping God... I'm not saying there has to be a specific what you're worshiping God. There's tears. There's something else. You're crying out to God. I know you're pressing through. You're pressing through to get past that veil, which is your flesh. You're saying, I want to be better than this. 
I want to go past myself. And you're pressing through. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's hard. But watch this. It's always doable. It's always doable. So we got to understand today, if we want a life where we walk in the presence of God, then we've got to have a life where we are crucifying our flesh. That's why Paul said, I die daily, not Sunday, not Wednesday, not Thursday, not whatever day you go to church. He said daily. I keep my flesh under subjection. He said, I keep, I beat, oh, I love what he said. He said, I beat my body under subjection. You think your flesh is going to roll over and just say, well, don't kick me too hard? No. Your flesh has been in control all its life. And then when you got saved, you decided to tell your flesh, you're no longer in control. What did you think it was going to do? Your flesh goes down kicking and screaming. That's why Paul said, I beat my body under subjection. I made up my mind. you got to make up your mind in here today. Your body's not going to tell you what it's going to do. You're going to tell your body what it can do. Woo! That's not just worship time. That's talking about with your health also. Because watch this. Sometimes you don't feel like coming to church. I'm talking myself. There's times you come in, you wore out, whatever. You don't feel like coming to church. Right? But guess what I do? I come anyways. Why? Because I don't want that veil up. I don't want that veil between me and the presence of God. Because watch this. The more that veil is up, the harder it is to get in His presence. Brother Ryan, I just come in here and I just can't seem to get in the presence of God. I just can't seem to get into worship because you've been in your flesh all week. We've been in our flesh all week. And now that, that veil has been... A, and what, Let me tell you something. This wasn't just any kind of curtain. This was a tough veil. You could not rip it. You could, but watch this. The Bible says that when Christ died, what happened? The veil. Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. That thing that separated us forever from the presence of God, Jesus destroyed it. Somebody better put your hands together right now and give the Lord some praise. I told you last week, people of the Old Testament would give anything to have what you have. And we take it for granted. All they could do would look, was be able to look from the outside in. Longing to be in the presence of God. Longing to be able to be in there and the glory fill the place, but they couldn't. You have the opportunity. Every time you come in here, every day you wake up, you have the opportunity to be in the presence of God. I'm challenging you in here today, don't take it for granted. Appreciate it. Be thankful for it and use it. Watch this. Take full opportunity of it. The presence of God has changed my life. And I'm not just talking about my unsaved life. I'm talking about my ministry. Years into my ministry, when I came to a place where I began to understand of spending time and fellowship and communion with the Holy Ghost, I'm telling you, it, it just changed my whole life. It changed my whole ministry. 
And you could have that same thing in here today. Luke 4, 5, and 8. Watch this right here. And the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. So you got to watch this. We're not just talking about all the kingdoms of that time. We're talking about, watch this, all the big and largeness of New York and L.A. and all the things that's to come down the world. He's seen all that. Now watch this. In a moment of time. Go to the next one. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it. If you will thou, if thou therefore will worship me. What's he after? Worship me. All shall be yours. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and only shalt thou serve him. Now many of you have read this passage before, but I'm going to give you a better understanding of it. So we see here, right here, watch this. If you notice anything about this passage, you notice this right here, that the devil still didn't understand worship. You say, what do you mean? He still didn't understand. He still didn't get it. Because you see, his motive of worship was to get to gain something. Oh, brother, if, if God does this thing right here for me, I'm going to praise him. Oh, if I get this new job, I'm going to start coming to church and I'm going to worship God. My best one's this. When I get rich, I'm going to start paying tithe. If you didn't pay tithe when you wasn't rich, you ain't going to pay it when you are rich. Let me go on. See, Satan doesn't understand worship because he thinks worship is to be for gain. And watch this. He could not understand Jesus. Why couldn't he understand Jesus? Why? Because he knew, watch this, he knew a Messiah was coming. He knew a king was coming. But this king didn't come like other kings. Watch this. This king came in humility. This king didn't come with fancy apparel and, 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 and a big ring. On his feet. No, he didn't come with that. He came with humility and he did not have pride about him. What's the secret to worship? Let me tell you what it is humility. When you realize that you are nothing without God, you'll have no problem worshiping Him. Somebody say amen. When you realize that you would have nothing unless God gave it to you, you don't have no problem praising Him. It's when you think you've done something. It's when you think you've... Wait, this is my money. No, it's not your money. God gave it to you. When you have that humility about you, that is the gateway to worship. So, but why? Because what was the sin that, uh, that took 
uh, Satan from his first estate to now where he is. What was it? Pride. What did I say earlier? Pride will keep you from worship every time. You come in here and you think you got it all together, you're not going to worship. I promise you, you're not going to worship. Because let me tell you something. Watch this. I don't care if God fulfills everything He said in your life tomorrow. You still can't live without Him. You still can't make it without Him. You can't keep your blessing without Him. So we always, watch this, we always come to His presence with humility. We always come to a place of worship with that humility, saying, I need God. As, I love what David said. He said, as the deer painteth for the water brook, so my soul longs for thee. That needs to be happening in the church again today, where people don't come in with a flashy uh, uh, outfit or whatever and thinking they're all that in a bag of potato chips. But coming in here, and it ain't about your apparel. Don't misunderstand me. Y'all know I dress good. Come on. It ain't about that. But it's about having that attitude. I don't need God. You're setting yourself up for a downfall. So watch this. We do not worship to see what God can give us. We praise God for what He has done. Amen? But worship is acknowledging God for who He is. Do you want to know what the reward of worship is? And those of you that's done this, you went in the, into the secret place, you went in the presence of God, you already know what I'm about to say. He is the reward. Somebody say amen. He's the reward. When you get into worship and His presence fills that place, let me tell you, you don't want nothing else. I promise you, you don't want nothing else. You just crying and sobbing, just like, oh, thank you, gee, I just love you. I just worship you. I can't live without you. I'm addicted to you. He is the reward of worship. Come on. That's why Moses said, I will not go anywhere. And if there's anybody who knew the presence of God, it was Moses at that time. He said, I won't go anywhere unless your presence goes with us. You see, watch this, you see the difference between the Israelites and Moses. You see the difference in their character and their attitude. As you do, you see the character and the attitude of Moses. You want to know why? Because the Bible says in the book of Psalms that they knew the acts of God, but Moses knew his ways. They knew, watch, they seen God move, but they didn't know why he moved. They didn't know who he was. They didn't know the presence of God, and it showed in their life. You want to have a change in your life? Get in the presence of God. Get into a place of worship. It's not enough just to praise God. I thank God for praising Him. I thank God for a shouting and dancing and hooping and hollering. I thank God for all that. But there also needs to be times you need to be laying out on the floor with tears running down your face saying, God, if it had not been for you, I never would have made it. I can't live without you. I can't breathe without you. I can't move without you. As the book of Acts declares, in Him we live and move and have our being. That's presence. That's fellowship. That's communion. <laughs> As I said, Satan couldn't figure out Jesus because he didn't come prideful or in a prestige way. 
You want to beat Satan? You want to beat the devil? Make up your mind. You're worshiping God, not for what He's gave you, but for who He is. See, if you can do that, that means even if your promise is delayed, you'll still worship. Oh, come on. Even if the blessing is held up for a minute, you'll still bless Him. You'll still worship. We've lost that. Now we come to church with this attitude, if I don't get anything, I'm not coming. If I don't get anything, I'm not going to worship. If I don't get touched, I'm not going to praise. And that's why, watch this, that's why you don't see God move like He used to move in the body of Christ. But there is a remnant. I said there is a remnant of people that says, I'm just coming here to worship God. I don't care what you think. I don't care what I feel about it. I'm going to worship Him because He's the thing that I want most in my life. He's top priority, so nothing else matters without Him. There is a remnant of people that God is going to raise up, and He's going to use them to do exploits. Why? Because they know their God. If you want to come in here, you keep coming in here with your cute self with this attitude until I get something, you, you're wasting your time. You might as well stay home. Did a pastor say that? Yeah, a pastor said that. We come here because he's the reward. He's the reward of worship. He's the I come in here and I lift my hands and I praise and I sing the songs. Why? Because he's the reward of worship. I want him. Not the goosebumps. Thank God for the goosebumps, but it might just be the air conditioner. It ain't about that. Sometimes, watch it. sometimes the presence of God could be so close to you and you not feel a thing. It's not about what you feel. This is how you know you're getting into the presence of God. When God becomes more real than anything around you. God doesn't become real in the Sunday school lesson. I'm sorry, He don't. God doesn't become real with a fast song playing or this or that. No, when God becomes real is when you get into the presence of God, when you go beyond that veil. You're now out of your flesh and you're now in the Spirit. I'm telling you, what'd you say? Nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And some of you heard me last week. I cannot do it justice. You're going to have to find out for yourself. You're going to have to get in His presence for yourself because the words that I've got for you to explain it, it doesn't do it justice. You've got to get off to yourself. I'm not talking about going out and saying a, a cute little prayer and then walking away and saying, God, I'll see you next time. I'm talking about just sitting there and waiting on Him saying, God, I don't mind waiting on you. I'm going to wait here until you meet me in this place. What did he say? He said, build me a temple. Build me a sanctuary so that I can dwell with my people. Make yourself a place where I can dwell with you. Did you hear me, church? Make yourself a place where God can dwell. Don't come, don't listen, don't walk around with this attitude of unthankfulness 
Don't walk around with this attitude of, well, I'm just in it to get mine. That's the, church, that's the church's mentality. As long as I'm blessed today. As long as I get a word from the Lord today. John 4, 24. But let me, let me say something real quick. I told you I was going to touch on that, and I forgot. When, de- when, the, when Satan said, this power will I give you, that word there meant authority, exousia, authority. This authority will I give to you. Who gave him that authority? I told you earlier. Who gave him the authority? Adam. Was Satan lying when he said, these kingdoms are mine and I'll give it to you? No. He was not lying because Adam gave it to him. Watch this, though. This is just a little nugget to help you. Are you ready? Satan knew the plan of Jesus. If you're in here today and you don't think that Satan knows your destiny, you better wake up. He knows what God's going to do in your life. That's why he's fighting you. To keep you from getting there. Watch this. Watch. What did he offer him? He knew he was a king. Come on. What did he offer him? Kingdom. You don't have to go through all this. You don't have to die to yourself. You don't have to crucify your flesh. You don't have to do all that. You can already be a king. So watch this. If it, if it sounds too good, Crockett touched on this uh, Thursday. If it sounds too good, smells too good, looks too good, it is too good. If it was easy, everybody would do it. The blessings of God, the promises of God are not easy, but they're worth it. Give the Lord some praise for that if you believe it. They are worth it. John 4, 24. Read this right here. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must what? Worship Him in what? Spirit and in truth. Matthew 15, 9. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for, the doc- for doctrines the commandments of what? Men. Let's deal with the first scripture real quick. What does it mean to worship? I've heard that all my life. Those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. What does that mean? Watch this. To worship Him, when it's talking, what John is talking about, to worship Him... That word right there means to, it behoves you. You know what that means? It is your duty or responsibility. It's also appropriate and it is suitable. What am I saying? First off, watch this. For you to get anywhere near a place of worship in God or in His presence, you've got to understand first, it's your duty to worship. 
Nobody should have to stand up here and say, you need to worship God. You need to do this. It is your duty and responsibility to worship. It is my duty and responsibility to worship Him. Why? Because I was created to worship Him. Above preaching the gospel, above doing everything else, I was created to worship God. Which means fellowship and communion. I was created to do that. So you've got to understand something in here. It's your duty to come in here with praise and thanksgiving. It's your duty. It's your responsibility to come in here and worship. Get into the worship. Not just sit there like a knot on a log. No, it's your duty to do this. It is appropriate. What does that mean? That means it is appropriate for a man or woman of God. That means if, how can I tell that you're a man or woman of God? By how you are worshiping God. Somebody say amen. How you're, watch this, how you're praising Him. How you're getting into the service. That's how I tell what kind of man or woman of God you are. And in what? Truth. What does that truth mean? That Greek word for truth means divine truth revealed to man. You heard me say this last week. I'll say it again. You cannot worship a God you don't know. You can't do it. No more than if a stranger walks in here that I don't know anything about, and they say to me, all right, Robbie, start praising me. What am I going to say? I don't know what he's achieved. I don't know what he's done. I don't know anything about him. How am I going to praise him? It's the same way with our worship. How can we worship a God that we've not been acquainted with, that we don't have fellowship with? The answer is it is impossible. So to be in the Spirit means you've got to have fellowship with Him. You've got to know Him. Amen. You've got to have His Spirit living on the inside of you. You've got to know Him. To, to, to know Him and to be in truth, which means divine truth, not your truth. Not the government's truth. Not society's truth. Amen. Because you see, watch this. All those truths are based on experience. Amen. It's based on experience. Some people live by experience instead of truth. Well, brother, I tried that and it didn't work. That's not truth to me. Amen. We're talking about a truth that God says, this is how it is. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible said that Jesus came with grace and truth. Not just grace, but truth. You cannot get into the presence of God if you don't know what's true. Because watch this. Let's go back to the enemy fighting your worship. Are you ready? What's he doing right now if you're going through something? He's trying to, sh to rock what's true to you. <laughs> That's what he's doing. Do you really believe this? Is this really how God is? Did he really say that? Come on, you've seen that since the beginning. Did God really say you couldn't eat of the fruit? He begins to rock what's true in your life. 
Even watch this. Even if you've received promises from God, when storms begin to hit you, it is very easy to start questioning. Very easy. And watch this. If you're questioning things, it's going to be hard for you to get in to worship. Amen. If you don't believe God cares for you, it's going to be hard to get into worship. If you don't believe He's going to make a way in your life, it's hard to get into worship. So you've got to base it. Watch this. You've got to get into truth. As I said last week, your prayer time needs to be fed by your word time. Your word time needs to be fed by your prayer time. you got to get the truth in you, and you've got to stand on that truth. No matter what's going on around you, no matter what, who said what, no matter what report you've received, you've got to stay and hold on to that truth because they that worship me must worship me in what? In spirit and in truth. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Prophetic Faith, the podcast edition. For partnering information or for prayer requests, you can go to our website at www.accelerantfaith.org or you may email us at accelerantfaith at yahoo.com. And just remember, one word from God can change anything.